Good to see everyone this morning. Uh, last week we finished uh, John chapter 3. <clears throat> and so uh, this morning we are going to cover, or we're going to start in chapter 4. We're going to cover the first 15 verses. Uh, so this is the inter- Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. We're not going to, to finish this. This um, We're going to do about half of it. So it'll be part one uh, today. And then, Lord willing, part two next week. Again, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. <clears throat> Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, thus sat by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. When the woman of Samaria said to him, or then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give, have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Father, we ask that you be our our teacher this morning father we pray that you will use uh, your word the inspired uh, words that have been written here for us uh, to to edify us to change us and to cause us to be uh, more like your son we ask these things in jesus name amen so so far in john's gospel we've get to listen in on a couple of conversations that jesus has had with people and you remember the conversation We've already we've already uh, been able to eavesdrop, I guess you want to say, on the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and now we get to listen in on this conversation between Jesus and an unnamed woman. She is known as from all of history as the woman at the well, uh, a Samaritan woman. Now, um, there are a couple of things here. The fact, first of all, of course, this person is a Samaritan, which is. We're going, to, we're going to describe a little bit about that uh, and explain why that's significant. Uh, first of all, this was, and, and second, this was a Samaritan woman, first, uh, second of all. Not only a woman, but she was a woman who obviously had a reputation for sexual immorality. So all three of these aspects, okay, one, a Samaritan, two, a woman, three, she's immoral. 
All three of these aspects make this encounter completely different from the one that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jew, he was a man, and he was a Pharisee. So just a completely different encounter because we have two completely different people. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. Now, we're going to, uh, we mentioned this last week. We're going to explain it a little bit more in detail here today before we get into the meat of the passage. But what we know, uh, because we talked about it last week, is uh, the Pharisees were now uh, starting to get a little stirred up, okay? Um, and so uh, we had the, the friction, the tension between the disciples of John the Baptist and Jesus' disciples. Now the Pharisees are, are hearing about this and so they're getting stirred up. And, and Jesus knows that it now is not the time to be engaging uh, with the Pharisees at this level. So he makes the decision to move to another region. And then John adds this. He says, John tells us that Jesus himself did not baptize. Calvin has helpful information for us here, helpful explanation. This is from his commentary. Jesus abstained from the outward administration of the sign for the express purpose of testifying to all ages that baptism loses nothing of its value when it is administered by a mortal man. What was... Again, we, we talked about this just briefly last week. Um, if if Jesus had baptized people, what? Again, put yourself in in the place of then. Okay, you have you have Jesus baptizing and his disciples. Now, if you had a choice of who you wanted uh, to be baptized by, who would you choose? Jesus. I would too. <laughs> right, I would too. Okay, and that's completely okay. It's understandable, right? I, w- I would want to be baptized by Jesus if I could. But what does Jesus... Jesus knows that He needs to not uh, elevate, I guess, uh, the, the person by, who administers the sign. He, he, he knows that... Uh, and, and His purpose in this is so, so men, mortal men, uh, would not seek to estimate or to elevate or to judge the act of baptism, the sacrament itself, based on who administers it. You see the difference. You see the, the challenge here. It, it, it's baptism, uh, the sacrament of baptism, is just as effective by a minister of the gospel, a mortal man, as it would have been by Jesus himself. Okay, and so Jesus, because it's the act of, it's the sacrament. It's 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 a sacrament that we do in obedience to the word. So, um, and so we have here the the Son of God saying, you know, I I don't need to do this because then again, what's going to happen? You probably would have tons of people. Well, your baptism is not valid because John baptized you and Jesus baptized me, and look at me, and I'm more special. You know, because Jesus baptized me. And so Jesus knew these things about people's hearts. It's kind of like saying, you hear people say, well, I go to Sinclair Ferguson's church. Have you heard people, you know, say that when Dr. Ferguson was still here in town, you know, in, in Columbia? And, you know, or I go to R.C. Sproul's church, you know, or I, I go to John MacArthur's church. You know, what, 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 what are we doing here? 
you know, we're setting men above other men. We're setting other men of the gospel uh, above others. And certainly, every and, and we're mortal men. They're, they're different. But the preaching of the word is where we go to sit under, right? On Sunday mornings, it's not about the name of the preacher, right? That's another reason why I'm glad we don't put no offense, preacher. We don't put his name out on the sign. Have you noticed a lot of churches do that? They'll have the preacher's name there. Like you go to hear him. Well, is that really the truth? Who do we go to hear on Sunday morning? We go to hear from the Lord Himself, don't we? We go to hear from the Lord. It's uh, definitely we are grateful that we have men who are gifted and called to preach. Um, but we go to hear from the Lord, not necessarily from the man. So anyway, that's the, the reason uh, uh, behind why Jesus did not baptize. Well, let's move on. Verse 3, it tells us that he leaves, uh, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, the, the most likely reason, again, he had heard what the, the Pharisees, things are, are, are getting um, a little bit tense with them. And so he's got, uh, he, he wants to avoid any more uh, issues with John's disciples, uh, who again, some of them were struggling with this. Now, remember, John wasn't struggling. We, we talked about that last week. John the Baptist was not struggling at all. He was very happy, right? Because he knew what his calling was. But uh, he, he was gaining uh, influence, and, and now the Pharisees are focusing on this. And so he says, you know, I need to move. I need to travel north to avoid any other uh, conflict. Well, let's talk a minute before we get into uh, verses 4. Let's, let's talk about the friction. We all know this between Jews and Samaritan, okay? We know it because we've we read our Bible. There is friction between Jews and Samaritans. So we need to kind of explain that. Let's give the why. Why is there friction? And we're going to have to do uh, a little bit of a history lesson here to kind of explain this. And uh, the history lesson takes us all the way back to the division of the kingdom of Israel that happened after the reign of David's son, Solomon. When uh, David became king, remember, he conquered Jerusalem. He made it the nation's capital. And it was there that Solomon built uh, the temple. But when Solomon's kingdom was divided into the northern, uh, which would uh, be Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was uh, Judah, uh, those in the northern kingdom made Samaria uh, as their capital. Okay, They built Samaria as their capital of their northern kingdom. When the northern kingdom was defeated by Assyria in 722 B.C., many uh, Jews were uh, deported and uh, many pagans were actually brought into the area. And what happened is there was a, a mixture, a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, uh, people uh, intermarrying. And so you had these races of people mixing, and then those result of that became uh, those people uh, who were offspring of Jews and Gentile uh, became known as the Samaritans. That was the, what they were, that were called. Um, this mixture of people, groups, also produced its own religious practices. Now, you know their history, but they now we have a mixture. We have some, some pagan influence into it. We have some Gentile influence into, into this group. And so, as a result, the Samaritans only acknowledged or recognized the first five books of the Old Testament. That's the only books of the Old Testament they recognized. They ignored all the prophets. They ignored uh, the Psalms. 
Uh, they rejected anything that mentioned Jerusalem. Okay, they rejected anything that mentioned uh, Jerusalem. Their uh, their central place of worship was at Mount Gerizim, not uh, not the temple in Jerusalem, uh, which the, the the southern kingdom would have uh, worshipped in. Um, of course, the, you remember the temple now here in Jesus' time. It's not the one that Solomon built had been destroyed. Now this is the temple that had been uh, rebuilt by Herod. So we had two different cities, two different capital cities. Um, and it was because of this this history, okay, this, and we've just done a very brief overview. I'm sure I left out some details, of course, but um, because of this history and the fact that the Samaritans rejected so much of the Old Testament, uh, the Jews were very hostile towards them. They extremely hostile. And it was so that the hostility was so great that a Jew... Uh, if he was traveling uh, north or so, uh, north to south, or vice versa, they would refuse to pass through this area known, this region known as Samaria. Now, a little bit. If you got a, if you got a Bible with the maps in the back of it, it, it describes it very well. We have Judea here in uh, the south, and we have Galilee, and we have Samaria right in between here. Okay. Um, so it's that little region right between Judea and Galilee. Its border uh, was the Mediterranean Sea on the west and the Jordan River on the east. Uh, the area was about 1,400 square miles. Okay, so that gives you an idea. That's uh, about twice the size of Fairfield County. Okay, if that gives you an idea about how big this area was. So, again, this hostility was so great. So if, if a Jew... Uh, would was was going to leave Judea and travel to Galilee, or vice versa. They would go. They would take the long way around, just to avoid even going through the area of uh, Samaria. It'd be like if you're in Columbia and you're going to Chester, or actually going to Rock Hill. Let's say that you're in Columbia and you're going to Rock Hill. You go through Lancaster, okay, to get there. Instead of going 321 North, right, straight through, uh, you would go over to to maybe Elgin or somewhere and go up to Lancaster and come across. That's what you would do, just to avoid. And remember, you're, on, you're not in an automobile. <laughs> so uh, just to avoid even going through uh, the area. So they would take the long way around. Well, what we know now here, uh, given this situation, is this was not the case for Jesus. Uh, John tells us in verse 3 that he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, what we know here, because it says he needed to go through Samaria. He, instead of taking the long way around, which would have been customary, he went directly north through Samaria. Well, again, John doesn't say exactly why. John says in verse 4, it says, but he needed to go through Samaria. What was was he in a hurry? Um, was it uh, an issue of time? You know, it's the most direct route, and and that's uh, you know the way I should go. Uh, I know when I go on a trip, I'm very concerned with making good time, right? All of us fathers in the group, right? We're we're in charge of the trip. It's what can I do to make the best time, right? Make good time. We always joke about that with my family. Um, but was that what was on Jesus' mind? John tells us he needed to go through Samaria. Well, 
We don't think it was because he needed to make good time. Um, Jesus was well aware that he had an appointment waiting for him in Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. So in verse 5, it says, So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. When Jacob gave his blessing to Joseph's sons, he mentioned this piece of land back in Genesis, Genesis 48. Um, this, was, this was a very important piece of land. Uh, because why? Because he tells us, because Jacob's well is there. Okay, this is, this is a significant place. It tells us in verse 6, right? So here we are almost 2,000 years later. And that's when the events happened, right? With Joseph and Jacob and, and his sons in, in the well. So 2,000 years later, the well is still there. Okay? And it's still providing water for the people. And now it's about to provide water for Jesus himself. And uh, on a side note, um, guess what? The well is still there today. It still gives water today. Isn't that amazing? Um, I would love to see that one day. You've seen that. You did see that. It's still there near the Mount of Gerizim. It's still still there at the base of it. So this well, Jacob's well, has been given in water for over 4,000 years. We have a faithful God, don't we? Verse 6, the second half of verse 6, says uh, Jesus, so he's at the well, he's at Jacob's well. We've talked about the significance of that. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour, you remember the time? We're at what? We're high noon. Okay, it's the middle of the day. It's the heat of uh, the day. Remember, the Jews uh, on their clock, the way they uh, they started uh, their hours at 6 a.m. So if you were to, that was their day, started their time. So the sixth hour would put you at um, right at noon. So it's the hottest time of the day. This is an arid uh, desert type region. So um, the the beauty of, of this text too, this is one of those texts, right, where we get to see the reality of Jesus' human nature, right? Jesus was fully human. Why? What does it say? He was wearied by his journey. He was tired. He was thirsty, just as you or I would be if we had to travel uh, that sort of distance in this type of environment. So he's there. He's, it's the middle of the day. He's tired and he's thirsty. John tells us that he was alone. Why? Why is he alone at the well? Verse 8, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Remember um, the role of the disciples in relation to the rabbi. You remember we've talked about this in an earlier lesson. Uh, obviously the rabbi is the teacher, but uh, the disciples not only learned from the rabbi as they traveled along, they also took care of all of his needs. Right? They took care of his food. They took care of his lodging. They provided for his material needs while he was traveling along with them and teaching. So, 
it's very easy to understand why the disciples of God. Okay, that's that's what they're there to do. They're there to provide for his needs. So they're into the city and they're going to buy food. And here in verse, uh, the first part of verse seven, it says a woman of Samaria came to draw water. I remember the time of day. It's high noon. Okay, it was it was customary for women to come to this well and draw water, but ordinarily they would come out and draw water either early in the morning or late in the evening. But not high noon. This was not the normal thing. Okay, Normally the women of the town would not do it at high noon. Uh, they would come out in the morning or the night, they would get a day's supply of uh, water for drinking, uh, for bathing, for cleaning, for whatever else they might need it for. And another thing to note is that ordinarily the women would come in groups. Okay? The women would come in groups, morning and night. So the fact that this woman, first of all, is by herself and it's high noon tells us a lot, okay, about the situation surrounding this encounter. What we can. Uh, understand but what John's trying to tell us is that obviously she has been ostracized by the other women. She is not welcome uh, among uh, the other women. Uh, that's why she doesn't go with them in the morning. She doesn't, she's, she's by herself. And there's a reason for that, right? There's a reason. Well, it's high noon. She's probably doing something she does on a regular basis. This is probably a normal thing for her. Okay, she's just going about her business. She's dealing with a lot. We're going to talk about it. Um, she's dealing with a lot of things in her life. But she's coming here at noon. She expects to, I, I, I could be sure she expects to just go get my water and I'm going to leave. I'm not expecting anybody to be there. So much to her surprise, we see here in uh, the second half of verse 7, Jesus says to her, give me a drink. Well, Clearly she was surprised. Why? First, because he was a Jew. It was obvious that Jesus was a Jew. So remember what we just talked about. Okay, Jews and Samaritans. They didn't even want to talk to each other. They hated each other. The Jews didn't even want to travel to the area. So first of all, she's very surprised. Why is this Jew even talking to me? Right? A Samaritan woman. So she asked in verse 9, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. John gives us a little bit of background. Uh, it says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's interesting um, that um, Dr. Sproul, in, in his commentary, refers to that last statement, that for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Sproul would say that that was John's commentary. Others say that's actually her words. Some other commentators would think, she actually said that. That was her words. Again, remember, we, it's, it's difficult sometimes to tell when the quote when when you're quoting somebody. It's typically, it's hard to tell sometimes where one starts and another and another begins. Sometimes, so it's difficult. But either either way, um, it 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 doesn't change really the meaning of the verse. It's it's obvious. She's surprised, right? She's very surprised at why you're even here. Why you're even uh, talking to me. And then the, the, the fact, he says that for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And it's not, 
the, the translation here lacks a little bit. Whoever, if she said it, or uh, if John's uh, putting this in, it doesn't really matter. Um, because obviously they had some dealings with him, right? Because where are the disciples? They went in to buy food, right? So, so there's there's obviously some dealings with them. Uh, they're doing business with them because remember the the, by the, the Samaritans were considered unclean uh, by the Jews. Uh, so you know they wouldn't they couldn't share uh, plates with each other. They wouldn't share food. They would uh, wouldn't even share eating utensils or share a cup. But but obviously they had some dealings with them. Okay, because again that's what John tells us. He continues in uh, verse. 10, it says, And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What, in other words, we could paraphrase Jesus here, right? We could say, Jesus was saying, If you knew who I was, if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't respond by giving me a history lesson on the problems between the Jews and the Samaritans. You you would drop everything you're doing and you would say to me, give me a drink. It's kind of what Jesus was saying, right? Modern, if we use some modern language. Well, remember our encounter with Nicodemus. We've already talked about it. Just like Nicodemus, um, after when Jesus responded to him, remember Nicodemus was very confused when Jesus said, about being reborn, right? He was about what? He was not following what Jesus was saying. Well, in the same way, the woman is completely not following what Jesus is saying yet. She is extremely puzzled by these words from Jesus about this water, about this living water. She's very uh, she's very she's very puzzled. She's not sure exactly what's going on. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You can tell by her uh, her response, she's still thinking about literal water, right? That's what she's thinking about. Um, in, in this time, in the ancient world, uh, it was custom uh, of the travelers when they made a long trip, um, just like these Jesus' disciples were doing, uh, they would carry with them a goat-skinned bucket. Why? Because when they would approach a well like this, they had something to draw water out of, right? If they were, had livestock or whatever they had, uh, they would have something to draw water with. But obviously, Jesus didn't have one. Okay, He's here at the well. He does not have one. And, and most likely, the disciples did. Right, most likely they had one. They were prepared. Why? Because that was their duty, right, as disciples. So they would have been prepared, but they're not here. They're in town. Uh, they're going uh, to get food, and so the woman is confused, and rightly so. She's she's confused. She's basically saying, you, "You don't even have a way to draw water out of the well. How, how are you going to give me something to drink?" Right? It's re- it's hey, reasonable, right? How are you going to, you don't even have anything. So she wasn't following him and that's okay. So, uh, because Jesus is not done with her yet. Uh, so she continues. She asks this question in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Are you greater than Jacob? And what's the answer to that question? 
Obviously, he is greater than Jacob. But in her mind, in her world, she didn't believe anyone could be greater than Jacob. Right? She, she's Jacob's a big deal. This well's been here 2,000 years. And so Jesus answered her in verses 13 and 14. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus was telling the woman, was speaking to her, and I wish we knew her name. I, I wish, the woman at the west, the woman, and that's all we'll ever know, right? Maybe one day we'll meet her. I, look, I, I think we'll meet her one day, right? Um, I think, anyway. Um, I hope, anyway. Um, but this, he tells the woman, yes, what, what he's saying, the water's very good. I, you're right. The well is very good. It's been here for 2,000 years. But what Jesus' point was saying, but if you drink only this water, okay, if you drink only this water, then tomorrow you're going to be back again. And then the next day you're going to be back again. And then so on. Jesus was saying, if you drink the water that I can give you, you will never thirst again. Now Jesus described this water, right? He described it as a spring of water welling up. Or springing up. Living water is what he said. The, the words he used literally mean leaping up. That's what it means. It literally means the words. The water. So the water leaping up. That's, that's exciting. That's different, right? The water doesn't leap out of the well, right? You have to draw it. So very different from what Jesus is talking about and what she's talking about. They're on two different pages here. He was saying that the water that He gives is alive. It's dynamic. It's powerful. That it will quench your thirst day after day after day and for the rest of your life. Now, we know that Jesus was not talking about literal water. He was using this as a metaphor. And He was talking about a spiritual reality. Okay, the woman is really looking at this from the physical, from the material, the here and now. Jesus is looking at the spiritual. He's looking at the eternal. He's looking at her soul, isn't he? Something, uh, what Jesus is looking at is something that would meet her needs for all eternity. And not just today. That's what Jesus is talking about. Remember, Jesus knows the heart of men. Right? Jesus knows her heart. And that's why he what? He had to go to Samaria. He had to go meet this woman. Now, when you think about this encounter for a moment, remember the background we've uh, established here about her and about her situation. Can you imagine just for a moment just how thirsty this woman really was. She is very thirsty. How empty was her life? 
Well, what we know is that at this point in her life, she's absolutely spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt, which is worse than being materially bankrupt, isn't it? That's worse than that. Being spiritually bankrupt is much worse than being materially bankrupt. It, um, it's very common uh, to hear Christians say uh, when they talk about their unbelieving friends or their unbelieving uh, members of their family, uh, they say things like, well, so-and-so is seeking after God. Or so-and-so is searching for God. What, the, what do the Scriptures tell us about man's search for God? What, did, what, what does the Scriptures say? The Scriptures tell us that no one seeks after God. Right? Romans 3.1 No one seeks after God. Our, this, our seeking after God begins when? After regeneration. After we're converted. Then we start seeking after God. Right? That's when it happens. So prior to that, we're running away from Him just as fast as we can, aren't we? Unbelievers, unregenerate people, friends and family, are before they come to prior, if they're converted, but prior to their conversion, they're running away from God as fast as we can. So why do people say that? Why do people say so-and-so is seeking God or she so-and-so is searching for God when in fact they're not? Well, Dr. Sproul said uh, probably the best answer would come uh, from Thomas Aquinas. And Aquinas agrees with the Bible that people are not seeking God. What they are seeking is peace and relief from their guilt. That's what the unregenerate, the unconverted person is seeking. Peace and relief from guilt. That's a heavy burden to carry, isn't it? A very heavy burden to carry. They are so they are seeking something, right? They are seeking what? what they're seeking something, anything to have to, to fill the emptiness of their own lives, of their own soul. That's what they are seeking: something, anything, whatever it might be. There's a hole in their soul, and they know it, and they have. No peace in this life and they can do nothing with their guilt and it is tearing them apart. And so they are definitely seeking something. Now we know that the only thing that will satisfy that longing is a relationship with the living Christ. That is the only thing. And we know that. Okay, You and I, we know that. That is it. That is the only thing that can uh, fill that whole and so the sad reality is those people who are desperately seeking the things that only god can give them okay while at the same time uh, they are running away from him the things they're looking for can only be found in one place or in one person but they're doing what they're constantly running away from that person that is truly a sad Reality. Jesus knew all about this woman. He knows her heart. And He knows that her life is spiritually 
bankrupt. She had, um, she had not stopped trying to find happiness. How do we know that? It says she'd been married five times. She'd been married five times. Every, and you can imagine, every time she probably thought, this will be the one that makes me happy. This will be the one that fixes all my problems. This one will last. And it fails. And then do it again. And it fails. And do it again. And then it fails. However, none of those lasted. And in fact, now, as we know from our later verses, she's with a man who was not her husband. Maybe this will be it. Maybe this will be the time, the thing that I'm looking for. Why is she doing that? She's trying to be happy. She's trying to find happiness in this world, in a fallen world. And she's trying to find it. What does the old song say? Looking for love in all the wrong places, right? She's trying to find it in all the wrong places. She was lonely and she's empty. She's at the well. It's high noon. She doesn't even have any, any friends. There's no women that will even be associated with her. She has to go to the well all by herself at high noon. So her life is void. It's empty. And she's willing to try anything that will satisfy her thirst. So, when Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. So in response to that, she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's starting to pick up on something, isn't she? But she's still not there yet. She's still not there yet. Why? Because what she says, or uh, because I, I, give me that water so I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's still thinking, she's, she, she's, she's getting there, right? She's, because she's still thinking about having to come here and draw water tomorrow, right? Well, it appears that she likes the idea of this water that will permanently take away her thirst. And, you know, um, but she adds again, uh, nor will I have to come here to draw water. So she wants the water that Jesus is talking about so she doesn't have to come back to this well. It was like she was saying, I hate coming to this well. I absolutely hate coming here. I feel like I have a scarlet A on my shirt. When I leave my house and come to this well, every woman in the village is glaring at me. And I hate it. I don't ever want to come back here again. She's in a pretty tough spot, isn't she? She's in a tough spot. And there are a lot of people uh, that you know and that I know who are in the same spot. Some of you may have been in the spot yourself. Right? Well, Jesus has her attention. He definitely has her attention. But she hadn't made the connection yet. Not yet. And the good news is, Jesus is not done yet. That's the good news. 
we're going to cover that, Lord willing, next week. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for our time this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. Again, it, every time we come to it, Father, it changes us. And so, Father, we ask um, that You continue to do work in the ministries uh, of this church, uh, through the teaching ministries, Father, and the preaching ministries. And we ask now that as we leave this place, that as we go into our worship service, Father, again, remind us of why we are here. And we are here to fellowship, not with one another, Father, but to fellowship with You as we join with the saints from around uh, the globe as they all worship you today. We ask that you uh, accept our worship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.